This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Launched in 2005, Dream Symbols is the partnership of passionate Canadian instrument designers and generations of Chinese gong smiths. So try one out at your local dealer. I think you're going to dig it. The prices are great. They've got some cool stuff that sounds funky, trashy, also some stuff that's clean. Uh, also follow them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, show them some Modern Drummer Podcast love. And let's get to the show. Welcome into episode 152 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This is Mike Dawson, the managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine, and my co-host will be joining me shortly with a little bit of laryngitis is Mike Johnston of Mike'sLessons.com. This episode was recorded prior to Mike leaving for his uh, Asian clinic tour. Um, and we had a little bit of a fiasco the past couple of weeks, so I want to apologize uh, for the audio malfunction in episode 151 the updated episode has been reposted so if you want to check out the second half with the audio questions in the correct spots it's there now uh, we originally were planning to have another episode in the can for next week but we had to cancel one so next week is going to be vacation uh, so the end of july the week of july 24th uh, no podcast we'll be back at our regularly scheduled time on fridays the following week Anyway, in this episode, we're going to uh, go through another pile of listener questions. Hopefully, we get to yours as quickly as possible. If you'd like to send in your questions, send them to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And for now, let's get into the show. Oh, boy. Can you hear I'm in mid-camp form with this voice? <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought you were coming to us live from Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, welcome to Bangkok. Uh, <laughs> Uh, everything is great here in Thailand. Ooh, man, it's humid. Ah. <laughs> All right. The, so the what's jig going is on with your voice? What is happening? I, I well, I think it's just I think it's just mid camp form. Honestly, I, I just I get yelling. so excited during the yeah. Making well, everybody cry. It's, it's, yeah, it's the wooing. I, I woo too much. I, I'm like woo. <laughs> I get so excited and. Uh, yeah, so I, f- I feel fine. I'm not sick or anything like that. I'm just losing my voice. But totally different topic than my voice. Yesterday, so do you remember, we've, we've talked about embarrassing moments on the gig and talked to you about being on Limp Biscuits tour bus and my fly was down. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> opening for Primus and I fell off the drum set. So I've had some moments. Okay, so you know that for the last three months, I've been trying to step up my fitness game and I tried out CrossFit. I found a gym that I really love. I'm really excited about it. And so I was there yesterday. Now, I am the class clown and the butt of all jokes in this class because I'm horrible. I am like literally the most physically ungifted human being to ever try their sport or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with it because it's like I have this thing where I come to drum camp and I'm the leader and it's my camp and it's my business. Well, that's a problem for the ego. Like oh, your yeah, head swells yeah. up. I go to CrossFit and they knock me right back down to size. So <laughs> I don't lift very heavy weights. I can't lift very heavy weights with good form. So anyways, I'm kind of the butt of all jokes and I just take it and I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, I suck. Anyways, yesterday strength is kind of 
pulling up a little bit. I'm kind of I'm starting to figure some of this stuff out. And there's a girl there that I've been. She's my benchmark. She's one of the coaches, but she takes the 5:30 a.m. class that I take. So she's my benchmark. I'm like I'm not looking at these ripped dudes. Screw that. I'm looking mm-hmm. at her like if I could even lift it as much as she does, that would be a huge goal for me. So, anyways, for the first time in three months, I talk a little smack. I, <laughs> I drop my know. bar. Yeah, I drop my bar, and she goes, "Why don't you throw some fives on there?" And I go, "Well, I'm doing 160." And I was trying to say I'm doing 165. I'm walking away from her. I'm looking towards her, talking my smack. I'm like, "Well, I'm already doing 160." And right when I get to the letter F of the five, I smack face first into a pole, <laughs> and the pole goes ding. And the entire class of 20 people that have weights over their head doing push press drop their weights on the ground. They all fall down on the ground crying, laughing, because oh, no. I went forehead first straight into this pole. Because <laughs> literally, I just remember this. She goes, Why don't you put some fives on there? And I look, she's lifting 160. I'm lifting 165. I go, Well, I'm already lifting 160. Ding! <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, oh my God. And for the next three sets, People couldn't lift weights because they kept replaying it in their head and dropping their weights and crying, laughing. (laughs) And I was like, this is never going to go away. This is never. That's that's like a bad dream, man. (laughs) It was a bad dream times five. It'll never go away. I know that that was the 530 a.m. class. So I know since she coaches for the rest of the day, that story got told (laughs) in like 10 more classes. Like, come on. Ah, I, it was well to say like, karma is a bitch. Yes, oh, <laughs> bro, karma is a hoochie. Karma, karma just straight slapped me in the face and bonked my instant. Yeah, exactly. It was instant. Exactly. So I learned my lesson. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Uh, I am excited though. I, I emailed a bunch of uh, uh, CrossFit gyms in China, uh, Thailand, Jakarta, Indonesia, and so. As long as they're all affiliated with the same thing, they'll contact your coach, make sure that you're able to do the moves and everything, and then you get kind of then you can come in and drop in for a class. So it'll be really cool to check out how they're doing these workouts in different countries. So I'm actually kind of excited about that. They can get yelled at in foreign languages. Cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my form is already so bad. Now they can't communicate with me. They're just going to like touch my shoulder and be like. And I'll be like, yeah, all right, man, I'm trying my best, but I don't care. I'm having fun, and it's putting me back in the learning chair of learning something from scratch, and that's the most important part of this is my empathy for my students has gone through the roof since I started this because now I'm not remembering how I learned how to play drums. I'm remembering yesterday how I couldn't. When somebody said, no, no, with your hips, I'm like, I don't know where my freaking hips are. Can you touch them? I don't know what that means. And like now I know, and I'm like, no, no, just every third note of the double stroke. They're like, I don't know what double strokes are. I'm like, what? <laughs> so yeah, so now it, we're all we're all good. How's everything with you, man? All's good. No complaints at this moment. I feel like because oh, I'm come on, I'm now you make a... it sound like I'm a whiner. <laughs> Complain about something. How's the weather? It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, it's been perfect. Yeah, there's nothing to talk about. I mean. I got through that run of intense gigs, and now I'm like, wow, I just have to do my job, and I'm good. No big deal. Isn't it crazy (laughs) when you work so hard that going back to your job as your only job is like a vacation? Like, wait, all I have to do is work? Yeah, I've been squeezing in 20 things around that. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's nice. And I'm getting to spend a little bit more time finally back on the kit. Not practicing, per se, but just messing around. A lot of sessions coming up, which is – that's the most fun for me. I actually got a – 
a gig where I'm going to be doing like a dozen tracks, like short tracks in the style of the Black Keys, and they're going to be used for uh, like TV placements and stuff. Oh, uh, that's cool. So be that's really fun. cool. Just just cranking out some kind of old school Mike rock beats. jingle Dawson. Yeah, right. <laughs> Love it. Love it, man. That's great. That sounds great. Well, we have a huge show of listener <clears throat> questions. We do. Um, oh, first, I want to thank Lemon, Lemon Marisigan for the intro yes. beat. So what he did was he grabbed uh, just some random posts that I had put on Instagram months ago, downloaded them, and just added his own layers to it. So that first one, um, what was he calling it? Oh, that was that Cast was bronze, a baby. Yeah, video that I did where I was playing a cast bronze snare. So he just took that and dropped some stuff on it. So you're hearing my kind of like mandala drum weirdness, and that he tried to figure out the key and add some chord progressions and other layers. Really, I thought cool. it was really cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. So we'll, that's we'll have probably a, I think so far that's the closest I've felt to like. Okay, that could be a full time intro. I can deal with that. Yeah, right. Like I really like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, at some point we're gonna have to pick something. But it's also so cool to hear our listeners play drums. I know, right? I think it's super you know what cool. I mean. Like, what other podcast has something like that? I'm just trying to think of like a sports podcast. It doesn't start with like some dude doing 100 push-ups that watches the show. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like I think it's great. I mean, I can imagine having the opportunity to hear. I mean, we we know get having the opportunity to get thousands of people to listen to you play drums. That's pretty cool. I'll, I think yeah, we should keep it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if we divide 153 episodes or 152 episodes by 1 million, which I can't do in my head, but that's uh, that's how many people have heard you play if you were on one of our podcasts. Very that's cool. pretty rad. So actually, we need some more. So please send your intro beats, outro beats to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. All right. So now it's time for a bunch of questions. Let's try to keep these concise so we can get through a lot of them. This one's from Steven. My question is in regards to drum mics and phasing issues. I understand phasing and how it happens. My questions are what simple methods slash secrets do you do to avoid it? And maybe what thing have you done that definitely is a problem? Meaning a simple thing or two that you've learned to easily avoid. Um, So let's go with, so what simple method secrets do you do to avoid it? You're only dealing with two mics, so you probably don't have phasing. Yeah, Probably I mean, honestly, for me, it's it's as easy as hitting my phase switch on my preamp, and one sounds better than the other. It's yeah. really that simple for me. So I'll let you answer this one. Yeah, I think the the number one secret is to use the fewest microphones you need to in order to get the sound that you want. It's when you start adding a million mics on your kit, and they're all capturing the sound at slightly different times, you're going to have phasing issues between every single mic, and it's never going to be 100% in phase. So if you can get a good sound with two mics, three mics, four mics, just stick with that. Don't throw up 10 room mics just because you have channels. That would be my first secret. Uh, <clears throat> second secret would be you got to pick one mic to be kind of your your focal mic. So let's say snare top. So you're going to check the phase of every channel against that snare top and make sure that you're getting the fullest sound possible with each individual mic. Then that should combine to give you a, a whole signal that's in phase. But you got to check everything. You got to check if you're doing multiple mics on the snare. You got to check each mic together. You got to check the overheads with the snare. You got to check the bass drum with the overheads. Just keep hitting the phase button until you get. You know, one of them will have more low end. That's what I listen for. More low yeah, end or, sure. or like a more fuller, more body. Yeah, more body. Yeah, um, that's about it. I mean, it's a pain in the butt. That's why it takes practice and making sure you don't have. You just have to experiment. That's that's basically. That's why it. people like me that are endorsed by a microphone company have two mics. 
Yeah, I mean, it drives you nuts because every day it's I can, for I have me, a it's thousand a mics different. here, but I use two. Yeah, it's always a little bit different. I have to flip the phase of my overheads almost every time. I don't know why. It's just my room, the way that the sound bounces around, I have to flip the phase. And the floor tom, too, usually. So those would be the two. Floor tom, a lot of times, is out of phase. Overheads are usually out of phase with the snare drum if you're in a small room. That's about it. Um, there you go. All right. Next one is from Mike. Another Mike. Um, oh this isn't a question this is a comment so uh, a couple episodes ago we talked about not knowing a solution to uh, eliminate the vibrations in an apartment on the floor Mm. and he says my band's production manager and I found a solution that works wonders we created a drum riser out of plywood and two by fours and they floated it on tennis balls and foam noodles yeah yeah you can buy those on ebay the there are people with, that actually, oh yeah. yeah, with tennis balls. Yeah, there's people that make those, um, yeah. and it, and it does really work. And then I think Roland even came out with a product because I saw a whole weird, weird video series that Roland produced about like noise cartoon character, something like that. Yeah, yeah, but it was uh, you'd have to see it. It was like I think it was maybe even animated. Um, but anyways, but yeah, I mean. I'd say probably for two to three years now, you've been able to buy those drum risers on eBay. And and they are, dude, like a, a guy just making them with tennis balls and two-by-fours and uh, plywood. But they do work really well. Yes, he says it the cuts it th- down by 80%. So even still, if you have an old lady living below you, you're just in trouble. Yeah. The other thing I don't know because I haven't actually played on one. I just have students that have used them. I don't know what the feel is like. like do you feel like you're on one of those – drum festival drum risers where you're just like whoa i mean it's got a little bit right (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's always you know one of those things because i mean you even feel that when you're on like a home carpet compared to a drum rug that's on hardwood floor or something you still feel that sloshiness so awesome all right a question from andrew i was wondering if there's anything specific to check for or inspect after pulling out a drum after a prolonged time in storage or not being used um, does it need to be warmed up and would it depend on the different types of wood and metals? That's a great question. I had, I say no, unless it's stored in like a outside in a freezing cold shed or something like that, that would be yeah, I mean, the only concern for me. Moisture is kind of the only thing. I mean, I think the heads, whatever you, whatever tuning you stored it at, that's not the tuning it'll be at. So, um, cause it's going to compress and expand over time. So I would check the tuning of the heads and see if the mylar is still hanging in there, but you know, um, consider it aged and it's awesome. Yeah. I guess if it's in a really hot, not really hot, but even like sort of hot area, the wrap could maybe pull off a little bit. So yeah. Check that. Yeah. Um, but, Good point. It, but I think in general drums are meant to kind of be weatherproof. I mean, look at marching band drum lines. They're playing out in the rain and snow and right. eh, the drums aren't blowing up too quickly. All right, this one, our next one is from Cheng uh, from Taiwan. I've been playing a four-piece kit for seven years, and while I started with a five-piece for another seven years before I changed. So he's been playing a four-piece for seven years now. He started with a five-piece, and he played that for seven years before. Okay. The main reason I changed it is to make my ride more reachable. Yes. My question is, do you feel like you don't have enough sound when you're missing the second rack time, Tom, sometimes? No. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think that just depends on what you're trying to get across musically, really. Um, yeah. I would I say this, though. I don't feel that two down is the same as two up. 
For no. me, two yeah. down, they feel very similar to each other. When I have a 10 and a 12, they actually don't feel that similar. I feel like I have more melodic options going 10, 12, and 14 than I do 12, 14, 16. The yeah. 14 and 16 just feel thunderous to me, both of them. Yeah. You know, I would um, only hit them. I would only go to those for like double stop power kind of accents. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, um, but yeah, I think I, I think you just have to find what speaks to you musically. I, I'm in the same boat as you, Chang. I can't stand not having my ride in that position. That's just where it's comfortable. I'm a heavy ride player, meaning that I spend a lot of I spend probably more time on the ride than I do on my hi hats. So the comfort for my ride is more important than a second tom for me. Yeah, I would check out uh, Jim Riley posted a ergonomics video last week, a couple weeks ago, where he because his setup is adjusted so the ride symbol can be where it would normally be on a four-piece kit but he still has two rack toms so he puts them okay. over to the left and his base room right. is kind of angled so he's he's kind of modified it and it's very comfortable i've sat behind his kit before so if you really need that yeah, second I mean, tom that's a good way to do it that's a good point i do remember when i had two up my 10 and my 12 instead of splitting the bass drum they split the snare drum yeah exactly. so it was like mickey mouse ears on my snare drum then my ride was in the normal spot yeah. um so yeah, and uh, Chang, I will be in Taipei on July 23rd. So hopefully, I can meet you in person there, buddy. Dig it. This and, podcast comes out after that, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't know what, <laughs> Wouldn't that be where great? we are. I don't know what the know. date is. It'd be awesome if this came out on the 24th. He's like, Ah, Johnston, <laughs> come on, man! I was right down the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Next. Okay. Next one, Andrew. Uh, I just stumbled upon these new Vader extended play sticks and was wondering, does the middle section really make that big of a difference in durability? And would that affect the tonal quality of every symbol you hit? I just reviewed those or I I was part of a review of those. Uh, Have you tried them yet? I have not, but I've, that's not a new concept. I mean, Vader's version of it is the, is a new way of doing it. But I remember even those, uh, old Aquarian sticks had that plastic yeah, center. Part, I right? use those all the time. So it depends on how you hit. If you are a rock drummer that is rim shotting everything and you notice that your sticks always fray in the middle. Great concept. Mm-hmm. I haven't broken a stick in the middle since I stopped touring with my rock band. I break my sticks at the top because yep. I don't play a lot of heavy, backbeat stuff so i don't think i think the stick is way more dependent on what style of drummer you are yeah i mean yeah if you're playing light quiet gigs these sticks have no purpose for you because that's not what they're designed for they're for guys and girls who are breaking sticks every show and they're tired of spending money on replacing sticks after every show agreed Uh, so my experience with them i used them on a bunch of gigs playing super loud uh never broke one um Oh, okay. And actually, what I what I thought would happen was that that sleeve would just cover up the fact that the stick was breaking in the middle, you know, like a like a oh, bandage. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, but it didn't. I mean, it it kind of. I guess it's kind of like what it is Kevlar. So what we get shot with a bullet wearing a Kevlar vest, it disperses the disperses it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they definitely are durable. I didn't break them. Um, and it was also like a white coating around the top that that does it is resistant to chipping, so it took longer for that to kind of like whittle down. Um, wow! So it does I work. Say, man, as a as a uh, as a professional drummer, that's brave of you. Playing different gear like cymbals and stuff on a gig is one thing, but playing different <laughs> sticks. Oh yeah, every gig, <laughs> bro. That's that's a different. You're a, you're a 
You're a bad man, Mr. Dawson. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just go for it. I was using the Power 5Bs and Power 5As, both nylon and wood tip. They all held up. Now, I was playing like swinging for the fences rock, so the right. the subtlety of the cymbal nuance right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. was irrelevant, and the feel, I just needed a stick that didn't snap, and... I could play rolls. I didn't notice a huge difference. They well, felt maybe a little bit, a little bit heavier in a certain way. I was going to say, did you get worn out faster? Because they are no, a little different. I mean, okay, I, no, I didn't. They, so they weren't fatigued quicker. No, I mean the Power Five B is a big stick to begin with, um, but no, I didn't notice any any issues with it. Other than it just cool. feels like a more like, you know, I I don't think I would do super fast double stroke rolls. I probably could, but I that just wouldn't be a, the stick I would grab if I'm going to do that kind right, of stuff. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, if that's I think they're for you if you're breaking sticks all the time and you're spending all your gig money on buying sticks. Uh, the next one from Paul I was wondering if you have any recommendations or info on wireless headphones to listen to music while playing. Uh, yeah, so he's looking to basically play along with his stereo with wireless headphones. Yeah. I mean, I think you remember I was going through that wireless earbud kick where I was buying everything right. possible. Um, and the um, the braggies were really good at having a little bit of isolation. Now, these aren't headphones. These are kind of in-ear monitors almost. The only problem with the braggy system was that the the Bluetooth at the time wasn't that great. So I had the kind of higher-end $300 braggies, put them in, decent isolation. I really enjoyed playing drum set with them, but my phone had to be about 10 to 15 feet away or closer mm. for it to work. Um, but I haven't – have you tried any wireless headphones, like over-the-ear headphones? The ones that I – I got to check out the prototypes. I, I haven't seen if they're in full production yet, but Direct Sound, Extreme Isolation, they – NAM two or three years ago, they had some wireless headphones there that sounded really good. They, they sounded just like the wired ones, and I believe we were yeah, probably about 10, 15 feet away from the source. So if those are available, I'd check those out because those are great isolation headphones that I use when I'm in the studio all the time. We gotta check out we gotta check out the Bluetooth option for uh, Ultimate Ears too because I know that they have oh, a Bluetooth yeah. option now, but I don't know I don't know much about it to be honest. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, so yeah, the, we'll have to do some research, but definitely look at Extreme Isolation uh, by Direct. Yeah, and Sound. I mean honestly, I have used I I, I forgot I've used my wife's uh, she has wireless Beats and I've used those and they're fine. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. They're, I mean, they're totally fine, but they're they're headphones. So it's uh, really what you're dealing with when anytime you're dealing with headphones is generally you lose all of the highs out of the drum set, and you're getting this muffled moof moof right. kind of drum set sound. Um, so, and I, I will say, like the the Apple AirPods, have been, I mean, I I don't go anywhere without them. I love them to death, but there's no isolation whatsoever, so you wouldn't be able to hear the music over your drums. So those are the Beats you said? I wonder what the model yeah, is. They're so just, they just have one model. Yeah, they're just called the wireless Beats, I think. Okay, um, they were they were great. Um, so those were fine, and they they have them in different sizes. They have the full over the ear, and then they have the on the ear, like with the smaller ear pieces that just oh, yeah. compress. But they have great isolation, tons of low end. But they're so focused on low end in those headphones, and then you're cutting out all the <laughs> yeah. um, highs of your drum set. So it's quite a it's quite a woofy experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next one is from Jonathan. 
Uh, he has a two-parter, but I'm going to just stick with one. Uh, he So would you either of you have any advice for a self-taught drummer? Um, the question is, I'm interested in drumming professionally, but I would like to avoid touring. Is it possible to survive as a pro this way? Uh, currently, yes. Yeah, I guess it depends on what level of income you're looking to get from your performing. Well, yeah, or or if you're looking to perform, you know, um, if, if that's going to be your only income. I mean, if you're not going to be touring, actually, I, I think, honestly, even if you are touring, I mean, unless you're somebody that's actually on the road like 300 days out of the year, you're still going to need other sources of income from the drum world. You're yeah, going to have right. to do some sessions. You're going to have to teach some lessons. And, you know, you might have to work in a music shop a few days a week. But I've always thought like, well, the worst drum job is still better than the best job job. So even if I have to have like some crap drum job, is it really crap? Like I've got a a camper right now who just got the Chris Bodie tour as a tech. Oh, yeah. Cool. And dude, he's having the time of his life sending pictures of like stadiums. Yeah. You and get it's to like, watch yeah, Billy he's not Kilson playing the drum. Yeah. He's <laughs> not playing the drums, but he's sitting behind an amazing drummer. He's, I mean, how much is he probably learning each day? Probably learning even more when he screws up. So he says, dude, did you seriously not gaff tape that stand down? It's like, <laughs> oh, next time I play live, I'm going to gaff tape that stand down for myself because now I know it scoots <laughs> away from you. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think. You know, yeah, I think there's you just have to decide are you willing to do multiple drum jobs to make one income? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I get yeah, it, it's certainly possible. I, actually, even if you just play cover band gigs and if you if you can get 3 or oh, yeah. 4 a week, that's that's going to be about the same income level as if you were touring. Yeah. Now, I mean, you're you're obviously much more of a gigging drummer than I am, so I don't know if Americans call it this, but when you're playing a cover band gig that is mainly for corporate stuff, I know that like in the European world, it's just called a function band. Um, and a function band is different than a cover band to them. Like a cover band could just be you're playing at a bar with somebody's function band is you are a working band that plays corporate gigs, that plays weddings, and it's very, yeah. very professional. <clears throat> yeah, there's um, definitely a so divide if, here in the East, especially in New Jersey. There's wedding bands, and that's a totally different thing right. than from the cover bands that just play every bar in town on Thursday, Friday, Saturday right. nights. So if you're in a function band, I mean, you you really could make a living off that because yep. you know it could be twenty five to thirty five hundred dollars per gig. You do two weddings a week and a corporate function, and you're going to be okay. You know. By the oh. way, for the band, not thirty five hundred for you. You don't get that. <laughs> Drummer guy, drummer girl. I'm like, get where the heck are you playing weddings? Yeah. <laughs> and why aren't you well, doing the Royals? Royals? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, if I could do 3500 a day to play freaking, you know, Girl from Ipanema, count me in. Yeah. I'm doing it. Our next one's from Forrest. Uh, Forrest is a V-drum user, and he's... He's talk, he, he's talk about, he loves being able to play along with music with the headphones and the V-drums, and it, it's a good mix. Uh, Having said that, I would like to learn to play along with songs on an acoustic kit, too. If I just sure. use cheap headphones for the song and play along, um, the levels are okay, but the drums sound bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, so should I just go old school and blast the music through a monitor and play along, I guess, with no hearing protection? Mm-hmm. Or is there a better way to do this? I'm trying to incorporate this into my regular practice routine and also get some songs down to play with the guys I jam with. So he's trying Dude. to transition from a V drum exclusive to more acoustic playing. 
Yeah, and you're going to have to go through some serious mental adjustment. Those V drums, what, and it, it's not a rolling thing. It could be Yamaha, it could be Alesis. Those electric drum sets are flawless. When you get on any drum set, go straight to like the you know the DW with brand new heads with Zildjian yeah. cymbals. It sounds horrible. Cymbals, especially. Oh my god, they're so loud. The drums are so loud. You're like, there's no way that it's this loud. It's like, yeah, it's always been that loud. So, so you will have to go through some adjustment. But man, I it's so easy. You don't even have to do any. If you're somebody that's like, I don't want to deal with interfaces and all that. Honestly, just get an old school four channel mixer. It'll cost you like a hundred bucks. Do you know one mic as an overhead into channel one, and put your iPod or your iPad or your your music source into channel two. Mix them together, and Bob's your uncle. Yeah, and then maybe add you a still bass have two more channels later. for a kick mic. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so that would and and you'll be able to EQ your drums as long as you get like a, a a moderately decent mixer. Get like a Behringer, and you're you'll have EQ and probably even compression for your overhead and your kick. You'll be able to get it to sound really good, actually. Yeah, the best EQ advice I can give you is uh, make sure your mixer has a mid frequencies. Mm-hmm a switch so the mids are going to be yep. what sound like crap so you got to pull those out a little bit maybe bring up a little bit of high end a little bit of low end so you kind of just scoop out that mid junk yep i completely agree and then yeah you'll, you'll actually it'll be really cool but I, I do think it'd be really beneficial for you forest to try to do that as much as you can because you want the you want the v drums eventually to be the thing that you go to as a secondary thing the drum set is your instrument and then when you have that idea in your mind and you just got to practice it, you have the V-drums for that. But if it's primarily V-drums, the drum set will always feel foreign and loud and aggressive to you. And you need to you need to kind of flip-flop that. And I guess the other transition is if you're jamming with friends, you're probably not going to be wearing headphones. So you do have to get used to, like, what do the drums sound like in the air? So spending a little bit of time every day, even if you're just playing by yourself, just getting used yeah. to it. Because that, that can be yep. so offensive if you're not... Like, I play with, with headphones and earplugs in all the time, but there are gigs when I have to not have anything in my ears because it's so quiet. It's yeah. it's not the most satisfying <clears throat> sound sometimes. I, <laughs> it just <yeah>. isn't. <laughs> yeah. And the, the really bad part is it's probably not the drums. It's us. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like we've just playing so... We've been playing so loud because we have in-ears in and we have, yeah. we have hearing protection. Okay, it's time to take a quick minute to thank our sponsor, Dream Symbols, and remind you about their recycling program. So you can take any broken or unused symbol that you may have, as long as it's made of bronze, so B8 or B20, nothing brass. But you can take those old, broken, or unused symbols down to your local Dream dealer, and they will give you a $1 uh, per inch rebate towards a purchase of a new Dream symbol. So if you have 300 inches of broken symbols, they will give you $300 of credit towards a new purchase. And what's really cool is that they then take those recycled, uh, you know, those recycled symbols, and they either melt them down into a limited edition run. They'll create some special effects things like the reFX crop circles, which are super cool. So anyway, it's a cool program. Don't throw away any of your broken symbols. Take them down to a dream dealer and get yourself hooked up with a discount on a new dream symbol, or possibly even a free symbol, depending on how many broken symbols you have. All right, thanks, Dream, and let's get back to the questions. All right, next. All right, this one's from Dan. Ah, we're not too late, so this coming August, he will be playing internationally for the first time. Nice, uh, Dan. Congrats, buddy. I'm told the kit will be provided along with sound and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. This is an event for a music conference, and he'll be traveling with the music team from his church. So my question is, what should I consider bringing with me aside from my stick bag? 
I don't want to. Not sure I want to travel to Europe with my personal gear, but any advice on dealing with the travel aspects of extreme time zone changes, food choices? Okay. Mm -hmm. So he wants to know prepping for international travel as a musician, which you which I'm doing right now, which you doing now, but actually you did two weeks ago. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Man, I had so much fun. I saw an elephant, Mike. An elephant. Now I have to go find an elephant. Um, oh, if you do a picture of you riding an elephant, that would make my decade. <laughs> Knowing that it happened, to, that we predetermined it, and then that uh, means—I mean, the the drum key contest. I will I will play drum solo for a month <laughs> if you can get a picture on an elephant. Yes. Oh, Shiza, I should look. Is my key still there? <laughs> See it on the snare. I better find it. Uh, okay. So here's a couple things. One. Go get some gummy melatonin, gummies, melatonin. You're going to need that for the time change. Get yourself quickly set to their time change as fast as you can. A lot of times I'll even do it on the plane. As soon as I'm on the plane, uh, I set my watch to 17 hours ahead for Beijing time. And then when it hits 10 p.m. on my watch and I'm in the air, I hammer those melatonin gummies and I start resetting my personal clock as quick as I can. And so, so there's that. Um, the other thing is bring an international charging adapter, but not just an adapter. You need a, you need a what is it? A transformer. Like you, you're not only changing the plug, but you're changing the output of the electricity. So you need mm-hmm. one of those. Uh, it's super important. Um, the other thing is, are you planning on? documenting any of this you know do you need to bring a camera or batteries or anything like that or is your phone going to be good enough something to plan on and then the other thing is do not count on whatever you think you have availability wise for food don't count on it bring as many bars like energy bars as you can fit in or power bars or whatever the hell you want to call them but protein bars like sometimes food is not available or you don't realize how free you are with your food and all of a sudden you're on someone else's schedule where they say, well, we're mm. having breakfast at this time and lunch will be seven hours later. You're like, I'll die if I don't eat nine times between now and then. <laughs> so those are things um, that I do. As far as gear, um, I'm told that Meinl has – well, Meinl had my symbols at all the gigs. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I played on the 135th Gretchen anniversary kit, so which weird. is so beautiful. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, I, I really do just bring a stick bag. I bring gaff tape uh, because things move. I always bring gaff tape. And um, and then I bring uh, my interface and my laptop. And oh, that thing that I recommended, I think last week or two weeks ago, the um, Think Tank bags. Yeah. That is full of every adapter and every... I have three of every cable I'll need. I have three headphone extension <clears throat> cables. I have okay. three adapters. I have redundancy like crazy because that's what it, you'll have this gorgeous kit set up with awesome symbols and everything's there and you're like i need a quarter to eighth inch adapter or the show doesn't go on oh uh, yeah and it's like how is it possible that that little thing that you could have gotten at radio shack in 1996 is what's slowing this production down <laughs> and it sucks when you're the drummer asking every guy that does sound like do you have a quarter to eighth inch you know and then they don't speak english so they're like Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh God! I'm never gonna find this adapter now. So yeah. So now, what that's about a drum really keys? Do you take like a handful of them? I do. I'm not taking the key of destiny because I just don't trust myself with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, I 
Well, and I on on this tour, I had Jules from DW, and she's she's the tech queen of the world. But yeah, I'll take a few drum keys, and they're they're in that Think Tank bag. So it's like literally, I have this one bag that I know whatever a drummer would normally forget, it's in that bag. Dig it. Well, I even off. have a dongle. A, I have what? a dongle to go. A dongle, the the <laughs> iPhone dongle that goes like from the phone, so you can plug in your headphones. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they removed the headphone jack. Great idea, yeah, Apple. What a pain in the Crushed butt. it on that one. <laughs> Crushed it. Steve Jobs, where are you? Stephen Paul Jobs. I don't know if you knew his middle name, but it's Paul. No. I think the green tea's kicking in. All right. So our next one <laughs> okay. is from Joel. <laughs> Mm. Oh, I'm curious about your processes for recording and reviewing your playing, audio or video. Do you film and record an entire session and review it all, or do you work on an exercise for a while, then film it once you feel you have a handle on it and critique that? Maybe a combination. Such a good question. I bet we go through different things, too, because we have different outputs for our professional careers. So, Yeah. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead, bud. Uh, I take the more long-form approach, so I... What I do every morning is my goal is to have one minute clip that I think is something I might want to post online. That's kind of the goal. Whether or not I actually do that, I have the mentality of I'm going to have a solid one minute performance by the end of whatever chunk of time I have. So I just record the whole thing and I kind of go through a whole process of exploring an idea, refining an idea, screwing up the idea, morphing the idea somewhere else. Usually a screw up in my exploratory part is what inspires what becomes the final bit so I record the whole thing I review the whole thing because in all of that exploratory mode I might see something weird that I need to address or I might hear something Mm -hmm. I didn't notice that's cooler and I want to practice again but I'm kind of just kind of assessing like how well did I go from the first five minutes of sounding like crap and just exploring to a one minute actual performance at the end so I take the long-form approach of analyzing the whole thing. And I watch it now, many, many times to the point where it, it seems obnoxious. Okay. And would you say if you had to divide your energy into percentage, how much of a percentage are you leaning towards listening and how much towards watching? Uh, it's mostly listening. I'm listening okay. for control, dynamics, accuracy, phrasing. The watching part would be like, do I – drop my mouth open like a fish like little things like that that i'm constantly trying to get rid of in my slouching but those are usually pretty quick assessments right yeah yeah i'm I'm, uh fairly similar it's just that i know that unlike you people will hear you without seeing you um now obviously you have instagram and stuff but for the most part you do a lot of recordings and stuff i know that almost no one will ever hear me without seeing me Uh so the the video part is extremely important to me. I, I I would say I very rarely throw on Pro Tools, which would be the easiest. Open up Pro Tools, press record on my two channels, and then come back and listen. I should do that more. I think that'd be very beneficial to my drumming, especially without seeing it. I wouldn't be distracted by the visual, and I could only hear the time, the feel, the touch, the groove. But because knowing that everything's either going to be in a clinic format or a drum festival format or a video format, I always videotape myself and then I come back in here and I watch it. And I'm also watching too. There are visual things. I remember um, getting this from watching Bill Stewart. He was doing this like it was at the Modern Drummer Festival and he was just playing around the kit. But his hands were like chasing each other and you guys had an overhead cam. And that mm. one lick stuck out to me forever. And he would, you know, he had his uh, his grip going and doing this like uh, hands chasing each other around the drums thing. <clears throat> I thought, wow, 
that sounds great and it looks cool. And so there is an aspect of that where I'm watching myself play and I'm going, oh, that's a cool drum festival thing. Like that looks really cool and it sounds great as well. I'm trying to combine those two. Um, so, yeah. So I think uh, – but I think most importantly is do you spend any time reviewing your playing? Yeah. 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 That's that's all that matters really. Are yeah. You, are you actually being honest with yourself by reviewing what you record? That's that's you, the hard part. <laughs> you cannot critique yourself in the moment. We think we are. Oh, yeah. But man, I mean, every time I'm like, really? Did did I rush it that much? <laughs> right. oh, while while listening back, where? But in the moment, if I would have known that I was rushing that much, I would have pulled it back. Yeah. So I clearly didn't know. <laughs> All right. Our next one is from. Oh my, he says we can just call him Herman. It's her, okay. her mean, her menio, Herman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How do you improve your posture on the kit, especially when you already have bad habits? Mirror. You got it. You, you'll, you will go back into your old position without, in your old posture without ever knowing it's happening unless you can see it. Um, I think having a mirror near your drum set and there, I mean, a full length mirror, if you go to Target or something, is going to be 20 bucks. You know, yeah, um, right. Like I, a door, I, I, like I mean, the ones that you put on the back of a door. Yes, yeah, exactly. Just put that right next to your kit, or get it at Home Depot or whatever, and you're going to be just fine. Yeah, I did a lot of that when I was um, in the earlier stages, and it definitely helped. I mean, I I had really great posture up until about ten years ago, and now I just slouch like a freaking Shrek, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's because you it's because you started watching too many mute math videos man <laughs> darren king that guy was bent over like an l you but know it was so cool i know when it happened it was when i was on that tour and it was just the duo me behind a two-piece drum okay. set and a girl with a guitar singing and i just felt like i just felt massive because she you know because okay. she's supposed yeah. to be the focal point and here's you know i'm this giant shrek looking character behind a two-piece drum kit so i kind of felt i was just kind of contracting myself and that in turn actually maybe psychosomatically i felt like i was getting inside the music a little bit more yeah 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 but it's a bad habit i've had some shoulder pain as a result so i need to get the mirror back out for sure there you go there you go all right david's question my question is around recording the snare drum i've been playing uh, professionally and semi-professionally for over 40 years, but I admit that I'm late to the game when it comes to home recording. I'm having a problem getting a great sound from the, from the snare and the rim click at the same time. Um, it says, when I listen to songs like Sting's Forced Around Your Heart, Omar Hakim is playing cross-stick on the rim during the verses, and the sound is pure, and when it goes to the head during the course, the choruses, the snare sounds amazing. He's assuming that these are different uh, mixes for the post-production but he's appreciate our thoughts on this i don't i wouldn't <clears throat> i wouldn't necessarily say they would be different mixes um i think a, a good cross stick is definitely like an attribute that not enough people strive to achieve but when you hear someone do it it's yeah. just wonderful yeah you got to practice um, it to be consistent with it yeah. Did you ever like put marker on your? Did you ever put a marker on your stick for like the perfect rim click spot? No, no, I, I didn't. But that. <laughs> it's funny. But I, I do. Uh, I put markers on student sticks where their pinky can't drop below. Oh yeah. Um, so that's the only time I mark a stick is when somebody is always slipping to the bottom and then they just stay there. Um, but no, I think the other thing with cross stick is you have to define what a good cross stick is to you because. 
I know a lot of professional drummers that never flip their stick around and they always play with the cross, play the cross stick with their stick with the bead facing away from them or the tip mm-hmm. facing away from them. And they're going for a very natural cross. They purposely don't want that clave sound. Yeah. Um, and then when you hear Vinnie Caliuta do it, it always sounds like a sample somehow. Okay. Yeah. It's like, how does he? And he flips it around it? every single time. Yeah. yeah and it, and it, but it. it sounds, you know, amazing. Um, and there's, uh, uh, I was trying to think. Uh, and then somebody like Steve Jordan, there's certain times where I'm like, I can't tell if that's a cross stick or a rim shot. Yeah, right. Like it's somewhere yeah. in between. I'm like, that can't be a snare hit, <laughs> is it? Like what the hell is that? So, um, I, yeah, I think – and the other thing too is it comes down to tuning. I mean if you have a, you know, a 1980s 8 by 14 gushy Ludwig snare that's loose, you're not going to get really a very good cross stick sound out of it, you know? Yeah. Or it's going to be the cross stick sound that you get out of it, but it might not be the one you're going for. Um, do you notice too, like maybe with students that when you finally get them to get a great cross stick, they can't keep their stick there. It always drifts one way or the other. And I'm like, ah, do you not hear that you lost the sound? Yeah. yeah. Like my I, ear hears a, the second it's not flawless, you know? I, for me, I've, I've discovered that I know I'm getting a consistent, good rim click sound if I look at the head and the, the coating is chipped away at the same spot. Like within 30 seconds, it chips away. Right. The tip of the stick yeah. is just digging in because it requires a, a fair amount of pressure to kind of get a good, yeah. good hinge. Sure. Now, let's go back to the Omar Hakim sound and recording it. My guess would be they probably had a small diaphragm condenser aimed right at the rim click spot to capture it. So there's probably you know a regular SM57 in the normal spot over by the hi hat. There's probably a second mic over by the rim click spot that they probably mute during the choruses and okay. and bring it up during the, uh, the verses. And it's quite possible that that record involved a fair amount of samples. That right. was the era of Sting's career where. Yeah, maybe the drums are live, maybe they're sin clavier and they're all programmed. Right. We just don't know. So I think but I think having that sound in your head is good because then you have to f- try to discover it live in the moment. Yeah. How do I recreate it? What do I got to do? Uh, but you might yeah, want to I mean, try a second mic at the rim click area. Vinny's definitely Vinny's cross stick has been my cross stick sample that's been in my head since I was a kid. Yeah, and I know in a lot of those like 90s country hits, like Garth Brooks and stuff, the guy was hitting the pad. It's not an actual rim click. They're hitting the rim click from a pad. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not a practice pad. You yeah. need a sample. Pad. Like a yeah, yeah, like a like a rolling pad that's triggering a, a rim click. Uh, so yeah, um, hopefully that helps. Um, okay, where are we at? Let's see. I've got time for one more. All right, we've got make it a good one. All right, our last one is coming from Chris. Says I'm currently playing in a uh, funk pop band, and we are writing a lot of original original material, which I love doing. Uh, my problem is that I am feeling stuck in a musical rut, rehashing the same grooves with slight variations. It feels like every time I try something new, it sounds wrong for the song, um, and I don't want to play something fancy just to play it. I want to play for the song. So, can you give me some insight into your groove construction process and any tips on how to get out of the rut? Uh, Actually, I have a. I'm going to, again, I'm scooping myself. I just interviewed Aaron Sterling for an article coming up. Um, and this was one of the questions I asked him, but in relation to how do you come up with parts in the studio? Okay. Um, 
And he, he pointed out something I never really considered. He said, he was like having your own studio when you're on your own time and there's nobody there, you, you're free to explore and play everything possible and go through all the stuff that sounds stupid and you know it's stupid, right. but you just got to try it. That freedom is gone when there's other people in the room criticizing everything you do. So I, it's probably, I mean, I would say ask your band, hey, is it cool if I just mess around for 10 minutes with a bunch of ideas? But if that gives me anxiety just thinking about it because you know they're thinking, oh, that's terrible or that's terrible. So right. you might want to record the song with no drums. Get them just, just a simple iPhone recording or garage band. Get like a demo of it and then spend some time on your own just trying every possible idea, everything stupid, because eventually one of those stupid ideas is going to be something you'd never thought of and it's awesome. That'd be my advice. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing that happens is bands get in a rut of writing similar songs. So your groove has right. to be similar because the song sounds the same. So maybe you bring up to your band like, hey, can we try to write a song in 6-8? We'll still stay in the pop mm. world or whatever. Or the funk, you know, just something to take us out of this thing. Um, and he said it, it was originals, right? Yeah, original pop like, pop funk. Pop funk. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, even even something like displacing the snare but giving them that groove before the song writing process begins so you have like a doom to cat but then let them write a part around that and just you know and maybe you record like what mike was saying recording demos you could also you could record a demo give them four minutes of that groove and ask the singer songwriter to take it home and mess around with it so yeah a lot of ideas yeah there you go. The other the other thing I, I would try is making sure you're listening to a lot of music you never listened to before. If you're playing a funk uh, pop band, then don't listen to Tower Power. Don't listen to Galactic. Right. Listen to yeah. you know, explore some new music because there's trust me, not everything has been done. <laughs> there's a lot of things out there. I'm yeah. constantly borrowing from electronic music when I'm playing really kind of uh, organic singer songwriter stuff. I mean. Just listen to anything but the stuff you've always been listening to. That would be another bit. There you bit. go. I got great, great advice. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for sending in your questions. You can always send us questions at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We absolutely appreciate it. Uh, please, if you get a chance, go to iTunes and rate the podcast. We're not done yet. We will give you our picks of the week. And I will remember that someone's playing the outro groove. And it was the, it was our intro groove guy, right? It's me. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> Dude, don't be. Come on, man. The one time I don't care if you forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so if you can rate the podcast, give us a five star rating that helps other drummers find this podcast, which we absolutely appreciate. And now it is time for picks of the week. Mr. Dawson, what is your pick of the week? All right. This, hopefully this, this is probably an illegal upload, but there's also a DVD. So I just randomly discovered the, uh, Tori Amos, sunny Florida. Welcome to sunny Florida documentary that gosh, it probably came out. Uh, who knows? Twenty years ago. <laughs> wow, it's it's probably at least ten years old. It's it's kind of during the the height of the tour with Matt Chamberlain on drums and John Evans on on bass, and it's just so cool to hear Matt do his thing. He's he's so far ahead of everyone. He's doing the stuff that I've been trying to do for the past five years, but he's doing it you know, fifteen twenty years ago. Right. He's looping, you know, he's looping shakers and, and processing them so they sound filtered. He's playing hand drums and bongos, and then he goes into a groove over top of it. It's fantastic. So it's called Welcome to Sunny Florida. I think it's a full documentary. It's currently completely uploaded to YouTube. I hate to say it, <laughs> but it's a two-hour it it's a two-hour concert film. <laughs> 
Love it. I love it. I will check. I will check that out for sure. Um, my pick of the week is a person, somebody for you guys to check out. So we obviously know that in the last four or five years, uh, the female drumming community has grown quite a bit. And we, and I think a lot of that is due to people like Anna Canillis being at a level with her drumming that we just see her as a professional drummer and we all idolize her playing. And it's just unbelievable. Uh, so another female drummer that I am just absolutely enamored with, with the playing of, um, her name is Sarah Thar, T-H-A-W-E-R. Uh, please follow her on Instagram. It's Sarah T. Drum Guru. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, T. Drum Guru. This girl is a bad, bad mamma jamma. She's, uh, she's playing you know jazz festivals all by herself and killing it. And I mean, I just, when I watch her play, I just go like, yeah, that's what I want to sound like when I grow up. Like she's a fantastic drummer. Now she, if I, it's the girl I'm thinking of. She's Canadian, but she's from India of Indian descent, right? Yes. So a lot correct. of her playing and is kind of borrowing some Indian drumming concepts. Yep. She's a she's a Yamaha drums artist, Zildjian artist, um, and just a bad bad mamma jamma. So um, huge fan of hers. I've been following her for a while. I, I don't know her personally, but um, uh, yeah, definitely somebody where you know I've thought about. Who can I pass the mantle on to as far as doing the ladies camps that I've always done for the last eight years? She is definitely somebody that I would love to hand that off to and say, look, you should be standing on stage because you are the proof that they can do anything because you are doing it. I don't enjoy saying you ladies can do anything and then I'm not the proof of it. That makes no sense <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, Sarah is the proof that anything can be done and she's uh, she's put in the work. So follow Sarah T. Drum Guru on Instagram and uh, you won't be disappointed. Maybe somebody. I, she's definitely somebody we should cover in the future in a full in-depth thing because I, I don't know much about her story, but I definitely want to. Dig it. So that's it. We're done for the day. So the outro beat is another one of Lemon Marasigan's. <laughs> uh, God, that drummer's so good. <laughs> this I'm one. Find out where those fat beats are coming. I have no idea what I was playing. Some of it is might be in the mandala drum, but a lot of it's him layering stuff on it. So check it out. I think it's pretty cool. Thanks for doing that, Lemon. That was really flattering to hear this stuff. Awesome. All right, buddy. I'll see you soon. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you last week. 